Our New Testament reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke. I will be reading Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7, and then the epistle reading is a responsive reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now from Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. This is the word of the Lord. We want to return to the two scriptures that we had from Luke chapter 2 and from Philippians chapter 2. We have been focused on the incarnation. In the first two Sundays, we have spoken of the preexistent. We've looked at the passage about the preexistent Son of God in glory that that Jesus or that Jesus and the Christ did not begin with Bethlehem or with the conception in Nazareth. Rather, the Son of God was in eternity. And what happened was that John calls him the Word, the Word became flesh. We've been focused on this Son of God coming from glory the last two Sundays, focused on the deity of Christ. This morning, we will be focused on the part of, in John 1, 14, where it says the word became flesh. We've been focused on the word. This morning, we're going to be focused on the flesh. We're going to think together about the humanity of Jesus Christ. This is a huge, huge subject. 
before we come to it. Let's all of us pray together and ask the Father to teach us. Let's pray. Our Father, as we pray together, we remember that we are indeed priests before you this morning. We've been out in the Mid-South this week, striving in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our work, to be prophets, to take your word, to take your gospel, to, to live out your gospel, to somehow, as frail as we are, be salt and light. But you've also, and, you, and that we're, Father, you've called us to do that, to be salt and light. But Father, you've also called us to be priests, to come back before you with the world, bringing our concerns and placing them before you. Our Father, as priests, one of our chief endeavors is to pray, is to bring our families before you, we bring our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers before you and intercede for them and pray for them. Well, this morning, our Father, we come and we intercede for John Albritton, Dr. John Albritton. He's usually sitting in this congregation, Father. We thank you for how you brought him through the surgery this week. And Father, we pray that you will continue to bring healing. We pray that, Father, you would take away his pain. We pray that this surgery, Father, would accomplish what it was designed to do. Bring healing, Father. Restore him to this fellowship. We pray, continue to pray for Phil Halley this morning. Father, we thank you for the good news of this week and being in a, a new hospital, new room. Our Father, we pray that you would bring healing to Phil. Cause the doctors to see what needs to be done to accomplish this. Bless Sally, Father. Give her strength for these days. And Father, speak to Phil Halley as only you're able to speak to him. And now as we open your word, Father, I'm supposed to be the speaker this morning. But if they only hear John Sartell, nobody will be any the better. We pray in these next few minutes that we all will hear your voice in our hearts. Our Father teaching us, I pray that's what we'll hear, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in all the glory, Father, is to be yours. That's our prayer. Oh, Father, speak to us. Change us, maybe some of us for the first time, for the glory of your Son. Amen. The earthy, bloody birth of the Son of God and Son of Man. In August, 
1966, Simon and Garfunkel. I want to ask, I'm going to do this. Preachers usually don't do this, but I just want to know because I was there in 66. Many of you were there. I asked someone, oh, two months ago, I said, have you ever heard of Simon and Garfunkel? I was a younger person, college person. Nope, had never heard of Simon. I want to know, how many of you have heard of Simon and Garfunkel? All right, you can relate to this, see. Okay, well, in August 1966, Simon and Garfunkel first performed the 7 o'clock news slash Silent Night. You say, what is that? It was a powerful production put together by Paul Simon. The recording began with Simon and Garfunkel singing the traditional Silent Night in that smooth folk harmony for which they're famous. Then a voiceover was added to their singing. It was the voice of a TV news anchor. At first, you could barely hear the news anchor. This is the early evening edition of the news. The anchor spoke of the civil rights bill that was dividing the lawmakers in Congress and dividing our country. Then the voice got louder and you could hear it. You, you, you could hear it over the words of the Christmas carols quite clearly. In Los Angeles today, comedian Lenny Bruce died of what was believed to be an overdose of narcotics. Bruce was 42 years old. Then the voice became even louder. In Chicago, Richard Speck, the accused murder of nine student nurses, was brought before a grand jury today for indictment. The nurses were found stabbed and strangled in their Chicago apartment. In Washington, the atmosphere was tense today as a special subcommittee of the House Committee on Un-American Activities continued its probe into the anti-Vietnam War protests. After a few more comments, we heard, that's the 7 o'clock news edition of the news. Good night. And then the music of Silent Night dies away. You've got to ask, why did they put that production together like that? Simon and Garfunkel were trying to deliver a message. They were saying that in spite of all the carols of Christmas, there was still prejudice, still addiction, still murder, still war, still darkness. They were saying that the constant and loud sounds of prejudice, addiction, murder, and war could be heard over the carols that we sing. That was the message that the more radical Paul Simon wanted to deliver. They were singing about a Jesus that was shining, had a halo, kind of a sanitized Jesus. You see, they only used, and this is important, they only used the first verse of the carol. The first verse goes like that, this, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. 
He was presenting a serene, pastoral, heavenly scene. A scene that just could not relate to the prejudice, addiction, murder, and war of the world. He did not use, and this is a great lesson for us, he did not use the words in the carol, the words in the second stanza, the third stanza, and the fourth stanza. This second stanza, Christ the Savior is born. Third stanza, Son of God, with the dawn of redeeming grace. No, his musical collage painted a spiritual Jesus who did not get down into the mess of the world. He did nothing about it then. He can do nothing about it now. He was trying to paint a Jesus. He's trying to paint Jesus as being anemic before the problems of this world. There's a lesson for us in that. The world will constantly try to tell us what the Bible says. And there's a great danger in listening to the world's interpretation of what the Bible says. Here's Paul Simon quoting a Christmas carol and saying, it doesn't get down to the mess in this world in which we live. The last two weeks, we have been focused on the deity of Jesus, that he was the Son of God. This morning, we will be focused on the humanity of Jesus, the fact that he was truly man, just as truly as he was God. This is what Paul Simon missed and what far too many Christians missed. I don't mean the deity. I mean that he missed the real humanity of Jesus, that the Son of God came into the dirt and grime of this sinful world. That the Son of God came into the heart of the mess and struck at the very heart of our depravity. As we begin, I want us to see one thing. As we look at these two passages, the passage in Luke 2, the passage in Philippians 2. Know this, Jesus was completely and truly human. Look at verse 6 of chapter 2 of Philippians. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So far, we have been focused on the words of John in that 14th verse, the first chapter. And the Word became flesh. And indeed, that's the backdrop. We could have the words up there, and the Word became flesh. But this morning, instead of the emphasis being on the Word and the Son and deity, it's on the flesh. He became man. Look at verse 7 in Paul's record of the incarnation. And Paul's record of the incarnation is, is like... John's was in in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. They're similar because he doesn't give any of the historical details about the angel, about the, the birth in Bethlehem. No, it's like John. He tells you what it means. Look at Paul's record of the incarnation. He says in verse 7, he emptied himself. 
Now, what did that mean? Did that mean he stopped being God? No, he did not empty himself of deity. He emptied himself of the privileges of deity. He emptied himself of the glories and honors of heaven. Think about it. He went from the cherubim, the seraphim, the great archangels. He went from those great, great creatures bowing down before him in worship to a stable of animals to being subject to the speculation and questioning of mere men. He was no longer bright shining as the sun. He was flesh and blood subject to being hot or being cold. You read on, taking the very form of a servant. The word there is the same word, doulos, that you use for slave. He was no longer the ruler. He was the ruled. He was no longer over creation. He was subject to creation. John said the word became flesh. Paul said it this way. We read it. Go back and look at it, and I just want you to become saturated with this. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see it? They both, John and Paul, both said it without the physical details of the story. How did Luke say it? It was quite different. Luke talks about an angel coming to this young Mary in Nazareth. You will conceive. How can I conceive? I've known no man. It will be a supernatural conception. And then he goes on. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2 of Luke. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Luke gives the details of his physical birth. You know, nothing, nothing captures humanity. The earthiness of man. Like birth. Look at the emphasis on the physical birth. Expecting a child. The time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn. Even in beautiful sanitized delivery rooms. The birth of a child is dreadfully earthy. There's pain. Agonizing pain. There's sweat. There's blood, there's water, there's human fluid, there's placenta, there's a bloody umbilical cord. There's the nakedness of the mother and child, the baby on the mother's breast. People, the birth of Jesus was just like that. Just like your birth. The conception of Jesus was different than ours, but his birth was like ours. He did not come as some type of digital hologram. In his book, God Came Near, Max Lucado wrote these words about the incarnation, about God becoming flesh. I quote, Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. He felt physical weakness. He grew weary. He got colds. He burped and had body odor. A friend of mine read those words and I'd recommended the book and she called me and she was really upset she wanted to come to me she came in and she said John I cannot believe he talked that way about Jesus 
My Jesus did not have acne. He certainly didn't burp and have body odor. I laughed. I tried to take the tension away. But I had to say to her, if your Jesus did not have these things, then your Jesus is not the Jesus of the Gospels. The carol away in the manger got one thing wrong. And I'm not saying don't sing this. Sing it. It's a beautiful carol. But it did get one thing wrong. The cattle are lowing. The baby awakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Folks, baby Jesus cried. Not only that, he was subject to colic and diaper rash. You see the complete humanity, the earthiness in the birth of Jesus. The other place that we see the complete humanness of Jesus was in his death. Look at verse 8 of Philippians 2. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. This man died. Read about his. Let's take a moment to read about his persecution and death. Look at John 19, 1 through 5. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold the man. Flagellation was so brutal that sometimes it cheated the cross. Men died from the beating, never making it to the crucifixion. When Pilate brought Jesus before the people, Jesus' stomach, his torso, his thighs had been rid, ripped open by the flogging. He was covered with blood. And Pilate cried, Behold the man. Pilate, without knowing it, unwittingly was affirming the great truth of the incarnation. Behold the man, not a hologram, not a vision. When Simon and Garfunkel have the seven o'clock news in contrast to Silent Night, I want to have them read John 19 and see Jesus scourged. I want to say to them, don't you understand that the backdrop to the manger is a Roman cross? That Jesus entered the world of cruelty and murder and rape in the seven o'clock news. Jesus was completely and truly human. Secondly, Jesus lived, with the underlined live, Jesus lived in the dark, chaotic, diabolical mess of a rebellious world. Again, go to verse 8. I mean, you go to a Roman crucifixion, an unjust Roman crucifixion, full of lies, but full of blood and death and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross 
He did not live above the mess, people. The princes of this world are born into palaces and they're guarded from the harsh realities of the world of poverty and disease and starvation. When Jesus was several months old, the mothers of Bethlehem wept, or several, probably two years old, wept. The mothers of Bethlehem wept because of Herod and his crazed paranoia came and killed the babies under two years of age. That was in Jesus' hometown. Jesus walked among the blind. Read the Gospels this afternoon. He walked among the blind, the paralyzed, the lepers, the beggars, the thieves, the prostitutes. Even his enemies said, why do you eat with thieves? Why do you talk to prostitutes? So why is all this important? Why make such a thing of it? In the incarnation, we stress his deity. We saw last week, his deity is non-negotiable. Just so we must stress his humanity, and this might surprise you, his humanity is also non-negotiable. The incarnation is not simply God coming to earth. It's not Jesus paying a visit to earth. Jesus was the Son of God becoming man. Why is the humanity so important? Quickly, he became man. He had to become man to save men. Look at Hebrews 2, 14 through 16. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What was he saying? He had to become man to take man's sin upon himself. Ask yourself. Here's the Lamb of God, remember? He's the Lamb that God brought. Anytime you see the lamb, it's a reference to sacrifice. Why couldn't the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament satisfy the demands of God and the justice of God? Because they were animals, not man. Man had sinned. Man was guilty. Man had to give an account. Man had to atone for his sin. God could not play games with his justice. He had made a covenant with Adam and Eve, with mankind. That was no apparition those soldiers nailed to those cross beams. He had to be a man or he could not take man's sin. He had to be a man or he could not suffer for men. The representative that stood before God's judgment had to be a man. In all of those sacrifices, all those animal sacrifice, God never poured out his wrath on those sacrifices. He never poured out his righteous judgment on one of those sacrifices. The fire was only a symbol of the judgment that would fall on the lamb that God would bring. Man, a man named Jesus. But when Jesus was on the cross, 
God's wrath poured down on him like hot lava. Never in the history of the world had God's wrath been poured out like it was at Calvary. Not at the flood, not any time. Because he was a man covered with the sins of men. The nadir of the incarnation was not that the babe was Sometimes we'll talk about the humility of this babe being laid in a manger in an animal food trough. No. No, the nadir of the incarnation was when the Son of God and Son of Man was inundated with our filth. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So why are we emphasizing this? We have to. It's the only way we can be saved. He became man to save men. He became man to be a priest for men. Go back and again, look at that powerful passage in Philippians 2. Verse 9, therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to see something. Why did I read that to you? The Son descended from heaven. The Son of God descended from heaven. At that point, he was not the Son of Man. He descended and he took on flesh. He became incarnate, the Son of Man. Folks, when he returned to glory, he did not lay aside his humanity to go home to glory. He didn't say, well, I've done it. I've died. I'm going to leave humanity here. I'm, going, I'm off to glory. No. No. Notice it's this verse here. And everyone know in heaven and earth, and confess that Jesus, the Jesus that is Son of God and Son of Man, is Lord. Athanasius. So we have Jesus home in glory this morning, the Son of God and Son of Man. That's not something. Athanasius, the early church father, who fought at great cost to himself, who fought for the deity of Jesus. Athanasius also loved his humanity. Athanasius said this, the dust of the earth is at the right hand of the Father. Wow. So what's that mean to us? So he's at the right hand. Well, look at Hebrews 4, 14. Since we then have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Hold fast to your confession. Why? Because we have a high priest at the right hand of the Father in heaven. His name is Jesus. He's the Son of God and Son of Man. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Whoa. Think about that. When you're on your knees praying, you have a high priest advocating for you. You have 
very Son of Man at the right hand of the Father is your priest. Not John Sartell. Not Brian Hansen. Not the leaders of the church. Jesus. The dust of the earth is at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, our priest, is there. He came to be a man to save men. He became a man to be a priest for men. Finally, he lived as a man in this world. Now, hang on here. This is huge. He lived as a man in this world to give the lives of men meaning in this world. Again, go back to the verse. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What does that involve? He lived a physical life upon this earth. He didn't come fully mature like the Greek gods. You see, they wouldn't have, Greek gods weren't born. They wouldn't go through an earthy birth. They sprung forth fully armed, fully grown. No, not Jesus. He starts out a babe, goes through infancy, goes through childhood. He didn't come and strut his supernatural stuff for a couple of weeks and go and die and go home. No, he lived. (laughs) 30 plus years he lived in the mundane, in the middle of work and sweat and parties and family fights. Read the Gospels, that's what it says. He laughed, he had friends, he enjoyed food and told stories. When Jesus played with his friends as a boy, was he merely biding his time waiting? Or was he serving God even then? You know the answer to that. He had to be serving God. Had to be. When Jesus was making a piece of furniture in Joseph's carpenter shop, was he serving God or just biding his time? You, you got to know he was serving God. In his eating and drinking, in his everyday life, in the mess of this world, Jesus was giving meaning and purpose to the everyday life in this fallen and messy world. People, the humanity of Jesus, I love it. It hallows The everyday living of life. What do I mean by that? It's Jesus pronouncing a blessing on our everyday lives. He brought meaning to every part of our mundane lives. From changing a baby's diaper to dancing at a wedding party. I called a member of the congregation I was serving at the time. I needed some information. When she said hello, we chatted for a minute. I said, so what are you doing at this exact moment? And she paused and she said, John, you really do not want to know. And I said, yes, I do. I said, I want to know. Tell me what you're doing. She said, well, right now I'm cleaning up after my four-year-old. He's been sick at his stomach. He's gotten sick all over the couch, the rug, in the floor. I had an opportunity and I didn't pass it up. 
And I said, in other words, you're doing what God called you to do. You're serving Jesus right now. And I know she was just looking at her phone <laughs> when I said that. That's what every godly mother is doing during the week. Our father, when they change a diaper. It's what the banker is doing when he goes to the bank. It's what the teacher is doing in the classroom. It's what we're all doing as in the name of Jesus and by the power of his Holy Spirit. We're doing everything we can to push back the darkness and clean up the mess in this world until Jesus returns. Yes. Paul Simon, we still have prejudice, addiction, murder, rape, war. But because Jesus came into this world in a bloody birth and died a bloody death, Yes, this Jesus that you thought was anemic because he came into this world in a bloody birth and died a bloody death. Prejudice, addiction, and murder are being conquered. Conquered in the hearts of some men and women and some individuals and some families and some cities and some nations and some civilizations. People, the gospel of the incarnation of Jesus the gospel, the incarnation, the humanity of Jesus speaks to the seven o'clock news like nothing else ever has. Nothing spoke of the dark, filthy rebellion of the world or speaks of the dark, filthy rebellion of the world like the humanity of Jesus. And I close with this. I didn't want to close with it, but it has to be said. If the world around us, if our culture, our immediate culture, continues to turn away from the gospel of the deity and humanity of the incarnate Jesus, God will remove the only thing that really deals with darkness and war and rape and murder and addiction. He'll remove Jesus and he'll turn us over to our sins and to the natural repercussions of those sins. That's why we must, as individuals, as families, and as a church, we must hold tenaciously to the incarnation, to the deity, and the humanity of Jesus. Amen. Our hymn. is 213.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be inside of us and go with us and abide with us. And all of God's people said,